0: This is a podcast about time, the time it takes to become an artisan, heritage, saving to buy something you'll keep forever, sustainability, memories attached to clothing that you've loved and lived in, and the longevity of friendship, to us, the true definition of luxury. I'm Lynn Coleman. Join me and my friend Jill Brown as we chat about what makes luxury so special. On today's episode... We are a little giddy with excitement because we have a friend of mine who I've known for over a decade and I've watched his career absolutely skyrocket. He's the creative director of Harris Tweed. So we've got a guest. We do. So, so excited,
1: And we're talking about one of my favourite things mm. which is Harris Tweed with switched cloths.
0: We have switched cloths. What I really love about Harris Tweed is that it comes from a very specific place. What does luxury mean to you?
2: I think luxury can be defined in many levels. For me, the basic element of luxury that is that it should be an investment rather than an expense. Now, obviously, that perspective is coming really from uh, the cons- consumer. Uh, and obviously, I am a consumer as well. On the, on the flip side of that, then I think that craft, uh, there has to be an, an inherent craft in a material item for it to be defined as being luxury uh craft takes time uh it takes skills and there should be a unique element uh it's about the coming together of skilled cast people and artisan and the story that they have every product that has ambitions to be defined as being luxury think it has to be based on uh, a strong story.
0: Yeah. And your journey with Harris Tweed started, God, how long ago now, Mark?
2: I would say, I mean, loosely speaking, 2005, 2006, when I was still living part-time in Tokyo and working in Tokyo. And, you know, I kind of first had my hands on Harris Tweed, um, the the product. But I would say we go even further back than that, uh, way back in the year 2000, there was a relaunch um, of Harris Tweed, and it was at that point I actually met Brian Wilson, now the Right Honourable Brian Wilson, who is a member of the yes. Minister, who was Council, um, who was Scotland Office uh, Minister, or perhaps even Minister for Trade at that point, and uh, I was still doing some modelling, and I was wearing a beautiful um, Harris Tweed Vivienne Westwood suit, and uh, I met Brian who was hosting the event at Dover House in London and he was informed that I was one of his constituents, or at least my parents were uh, one of his constituents, and the, the, the joke that we had was that, uh, you know, you wouldn't be seen in our dressing uh wearing that, and I remarked that, well, it's certainly not for long, <laughs> so... So that, that, I guess, was my first interaction um, with Harris Tweed, the product. Wind it on to uh, 2007, and Brian Wilson had got the best minds in the industry, and uh, also the investor uh, Ian Taylor. And at that point, the industry was at really a low ebb. You know, sales had been going down for quite some time really almost a decade's decline there had also been some interruption into the industry whereby one of the mills had reduced the number of patterns that they were going to weave down to four and we're going to do a vertically integrated uh, model of producing gents jackets and not really anything else so i think you know, Brian uh, Ian Angus Mackenzie, who is still the chief executive at Harris Tweed, and Ian Taylor uh, had come together and put together a package that uh, would go into reviving the Shawboss mill on the west coast of Lewis and the Outer Hebrides, and that would uh, essentially go back to the the core business model of looking at archives, producing um, a vast quantity of tweeds on demand, and uh, and really looking to broaden the market beyond the traditional gents jacket. And my position really was to was to amplify that message and to get out, establish new collaborations, new partnerships and mark, in the amplify industry. You
0: did. I mean, I remember that time so well because um, we have known each other for far too long. But I remember being like just in awe of the brands that you went after and and that just adored the whole concept. And, and that was a real eye-opener for me because, you know, I, I was I was quite young. That was like, yeah, back in 2000 or whatever. So I'm, I'm just kind of starting my journalism career as as you were doing this. But I remember being like, oh, our stuff is really hip and our stuff is really cool. And I hadn't seen that before until you had made those connections.
2: I mean, I think the the biggest star and the biggest performer in all of this is, is the cloth, is Harris Tweed itself. And... You know, it had allowed itself, or it had been allowed to become almost uh through association, and it was that direct association with the kind of the crusty old dark gents' mm. jacket. And I think somebody once described it as, um, you know, <laughs> badly fitting jackets for badly sized Americans. <laughs> you know, it becomes so, so narrow in, in, in its appeal. Um, and And that whole kind of dynamic of the the um the kind of the, the the waspy you know traditional um market and I think I thought it was slightly unfair because I think at one point you know particularly in the sixties and seventies you know it was tied in with the ivy League yeah, and, it that, and it was cool you know it was cool And it was it was almost counterculture but at some point counterculture becomes. You know, central establishment culture, and maybe Harris didn't allow itself to get on top of that image because there is a lot of, particularly then, there's no digital media. You know, there's so much physical distance, geographical distance, emotional distance between your markets and Japan and the east uh, eastern seaboard of the USA and and what you're actually producing in uh, in the Outer Hebrides. But you know, I think that like anything, if the quality of the product is good and, and and the story and the Harris Tweed story is always amazing and, and the way it's produced is good, then you just have to pick out the nuggets and there are many nuggets in Harris Tweed as we'll come on to and, and you've got to double down on them and you've got to tell those stories, tell those small mm. details. So
1: Mark, for, for the ignorant and, and you know you say that luxury is about a unique story about a craft, can you tell us what, what makes, why is Harris Tweed Harris Tweed? What is what is its uniqueness, its special story?
2: Well, without consulting the uh, myriad pages of the 1993 Harris Tweed Act <laughs> of Parliament, which uh, I think you'd see a, quite a severe drop off in the volume of your listeners uh, once I got to page 52, um, I would say that the three main tenets that that uh, Act of Parliament stands on are that Harris tweed has to be made from virgin wool. It has to be made in the outer Hebrides of Scotland. And lastly, and I would say most importantly, it has to be made at the home of the weaver. Now that's really important because that means it has to be one loom, one, one croft, one wow. weaver.
0: Which means that it's, it's it's a rarity, right? That's not mass-produced in any way, shape, or form. It's a cottage industry, a, if you like.
2: It is. It is a cottage industry, but there's also this incredible symbiosis with the, the weavers, the individual weavers on the on the crofts and the, the loom sheds and the mills, because the the mills, the, you know, obviously I'm speaking on behalf of um, Harris Tweed Hebrides and the Shawbos Mill, but the mills are, are 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 just as integral as the the weavers themselves, because. The mills have to take in the, the, the raw product, which is obviously is wool. And um, that is the, the entirety of the, the, the raw material, it's singular, is wool. Um, the wool is then dyed, it's carded, and it's spun. Now I know to people who are eh, not within working within the textile industry, uh, that may seem a bit complex, but please go onto the Harris Tweed uh, Authority website, please go onto to Harris Tweed Hebrides website, and it's all there um, explained in glorious detail. But it is complex, and, and it's almost like a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory dynamic of, of producing chocolate, whereby we produce beautiful um, yarns. But the yarns are then sent out to the weaver, who may be, you know, in, in Ness in the, in the northern point of Lewis, or they may be down in the the more fertile lands of, of, uh, of Harris. And that's where the weaving takes place, but then it has to be returned to the mill. So I think, you know, without going into any gross detail, you can see how complex the process is but it's all contained on the islands and because it's contained on the islands it takes time and also it takes craft and it takes skill but it can be integrated within the wider lifestyles of a weaver so traditionally you would be a, a crofter and a weaver you'd be a fisherman and a weaver you may be a school teacher and a weaver but uh, because uh, socioeconomically it's quite a tough place to survive in the Outer Hebrides, weaving was essential in order that people had a bit of flexibility mm-hmm. in, uh, yeah, in making is, a living. Yeah, it is
0: pretty barren up there. You know, you you see these absolutely beautiful pictures of of the Hebrides, and they are gorgeous. But then when you stand on them, the feeling there, you know, you're just you're just in the elements like no other place on earth, and that I think really comes out in the material you know how the material feels it's it's super duper warm but it's quite rough too but the colors are just an assault on your senses and so everything about that material speaks to about its geography to me
2: i mean i i think that's a, a really good point i was really uh, lucky to spend three weeks three full weeks I think it was the longest time I'd been in the Hebrides uh, ironically in February just before lockdown so I mean I, I did my traineeship there I mean I, lockdown was absolutely easy for me because three weeks in the Hebrides it blew um, a gale I think for the first two weeks it was like a perma storm but uh, I, you just you made your own entertainment but you started to think differently and move differently and um, I mean I know you've probably heard of plane spotters and train spotters I became a wave spotter so I, I would go out basically about an hour before it was going to get dark and just look at these incredible waves just rolling off the off the Atlantic wow. twenty, thirty, forty feet high in certain days. And it, there was just this and you couldn't you couldn't take a video of it, you know, or try to convey it because it was just the noise was too much. And then you, you know, the storm. I think, if I remember right, the waves come in after the storm, or vice versa. But there's this rhythmic dynamic to it. But you just got into a different way of living, and I think that's probably what happens. You know, with 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 the weavers as well, where they'll pick certain times of the day where they'll do their weaving, and it's just there's something quite soulful about it and relaxing. But as you rightfully say, you know, there's there's also this spectrum of colour. Um, that comes through with Harris Tweed, and I think because partly because we dye the the wool, you know, we are fibre dyed as a as a as a cloth, then you know that's why designers like Tom Brown, Vivienne Westwood, they just they become almost slightly addicted mm-hmm. to Harris Tweed in the sense that they have to put something in. See, that's, and that's the stuff that,
0: that is. The- continues the legend of it all. And I just want to come back to the to, to the geography of it because you're absolutely right that you see pictures of it, but you don't understand how it feels when you're there. And I'm so glad you said you tried to take a video because when you're standing in that particular environment, the noise and the same with the looms, you know, when you're, when you're particularly when you're making tweed and tartan, yeah. the noise of the looms is so booming. It's so loud. And that's the same on the island, you know. When there is a storm blowing, or or even if it's just a little bit windy, it's still really noisy. And I, I, and maybe this is just me being way too romantic about textiles, but I see and feel all of that in the cloth when it's finished, and that's what I love. And and that's what you're you're right. That's probably why these artists, these amazing designers, gravitate towards it because they get that too.
2: There's a near soulful dynamic between. Topography, weaver, yeah. and and final product. You know, it is hard to put into words, and but I do try to convey that, and hopefully my uh, enduring passion for uh, Harris Tweed. It doesn't get uh, stale at all. You know, it's not like oh, ten year, ten years, twelve years uh, into working with Harris Tweed. And, you know it's not to it is a brand obviously, but it's much more than that you know it's really about the the communities uh of of weavers and people working in, in the mill based in the outer Hebrides I product. was
0: three weeks up there i mean, I say this because mark is a loves a city yeah. he's <laughs> frequently find him in Milan and london and so what what was that what was that like the difference between your city life to going up there for three weeks?
2: It did take. Um, I was actually I was house sitting, so I, I was house sitting and, and with the house dog sitting as well at Brian's place, which you know is a sits out right uh, on top of a hill in a really remote. Now Lewis is pretty remote anyway, but in the remote village of Lewis, so it's about an hour's drive from Stornoway Airport. I think you just tick to a different you know, you start to think differently. I mean, I've, I've read a lot about, about this, you know, people traveling as well. But, I, I mean, I, I I was a backpacker as well in my, my mid-20s. You know, I would maybe do, okay, I would do two, four months in Tokyo or, or Hong Kong. But then, you know, I would have a round-the-world ticket and, you know, I would go to Tahiti and the Cook Islands. And probably because of my farming background, you know, I grew up on a dairy farm in, uh, in Ayrshire. And, okay, it wasn't in as remote as, as the outer hebrides but you know we're still a mile from the the, the local town and i think when you've got that in your system that you're quite happy with the rural dynamic and you know you're always uh, interested in nature mm. and you're quite reclusive as well so i'm i can be quite extrovert in certain circumstances um socially or in work environments uh know how to work the room reasonably well so to speak but i'm also really quite happy and quite content and i really rural environment and there's something quite luxurious
1: there's something quite incredible about the fact that you saw that this is this tiny island at the top of Scotland. next stop across the atlantic is america you know it's it's completely on its own and yet this fabric that is made in people's homes makes it all the way across the world like it's it's almost hard to get your head around isn't it
2: i mean it, it is and i, I love the the individual story. So every single cloth has got an individual story because it was woven by uh, a particular weaver. And the whole industry is like this incredible inverted pyramid whereby at the very top you've got people like like us, and hopefully like your listeners, who have invested in a Harris Tweed jacket or coat or bag. And then below that, you've got the the retailers, and below that, you've got the the designers, incredible designers that we've mentioned here, all the way from your Parisian uh, fashion houses to your Tokyo streetwear. But then if you keep narrowing that down to the mills, um, to the Harris Tweed Authority, to the very bottom, you've got... 180, 170, 180 weavers, and that's it. They are the the absolute oh, uh, inverted that apex was the of that's the entire industry is based upon. We've got clients in Bogota, Colombia, because it actually gets cold because of the altitude. It gets quite cold there, in their short, sharp winter. So whether you are you know a media worker in Bogota or you are a kid who's just bought their first um, bomber jacket in United Arrows in Tokyo, you know, all, it all filters down through that inverted pyramid to these, um, you know, 180, um, you know, 190 uh, weavers. Supported, of course, by the, the mill and uh, the incredible levels of artisanal skill.
1: Are those skills passed on? Are there young weavers? Is Do we need to be worried?
2: You don't need to be worried. I will say that mm-hmm. f- up front. But at one point, maybe 15 years ago, You would have been worried (laughs) because at that point, the average age of the weavers um, was late 50s, early 60s. And the industry had gone through such a, a roller coaster dynamic of boom and bust and you know there was always a uh, a new um initiative that was hopefully going to save it, but really it had been in what seemed like an inexorable decline from the mid mid seventies particularly through the, through the eighties when the u s market crashed uh, when they got a taste for cottons and synthetics so that was really the, the worrying time in the early the early 21st century really the early noughties was not good and they the, the, more importantly than, than just the the increased uh, age group of, of weavers and skilled mill workers it was really just that element of a bad image that was hanging over harris tweed as well i mean even when i came in to harris tweed hebrides 2007 you know you're looking around wikipedia and online and it was harris tweed um as worn by professor langdon of the da vinci code and miss marple now if you know that (laughs) your your kind of chief international brand ambassadors are miss marple and professor langdon
0: (laughs) you know i've been talking a lot because we've been obviously in lockdown yeah, I, I, have, have you missed pity? Have you missed Milan this year? Have you missed London? Have you missed Tokyo?
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. But I think there's that whole um, dynamic is probably universal across yeah. lockdown is that, you know, you, you do miss all of these things, but you're also more thankful for them. I, if I don't get the chance to go to another pity then i'll look back on those incredible memories and you know having i never do the step thing but i would imagine you're probably doing 20 to twenty five thousand steps a day you discard with any kind of nice type of brogues after the, the first time you go to pity and you learn that you need trainers and uh, uh and you know you, you learn you need to live with hangovers and work with hangovers and you just you know you you appreciate for, for what it is so, so for anybody that doesn't know pity is
0: um a, it's basically a giant a textiles industry place where you go and buy and sell uh cloth and that, that's the best way to describe it isn't it mark
2: Premier Vision in Paris uh, starts the whole textile process where um, the textiles are are sold, and then if you wind on for four months, uh, most of the the clients who want to uh, wholesale the products will set up in Florence for for Pitti any Anybody from the most well known companies there would be Brunello Cuccinelli, you know, all the kind of Italian powerhouses, Belvest, etc. To you know. A lot of Scottish representation, well, Johnson and well, Belgian. Yeah. Um, will, will sell their most of their accessories um, and some menswear there. William Lockie, mm-hmm. Beg, Jamesons, um obviously one of the wonderful Jameson's of Shetland, will have a stand there as well. And you know, it's just a great uh, chance to to chat with them, see how businesses, and in my case, try to you know try to help uh, push some people onto their stands as well. So it's just it's a there's a real, and I think yeah. post pandemic, I think th- those industry events uh, will become even more important because I do feel as human beings we've got uh, a natural sense of being social animals and I think rather than the, um, the traditional trade fair
0: I cannot wait to see the imagery again I cannot wait to see it. so you, you classically um, when pity kicks off the, the street style across the, the city is just drool worthy and it's it's the most incredible stuff and every year it kind of ups its ante and it gets better dressed and you think how how can how can they continue but it does it just gets bigger and better and sleeker it's just the best
1: so what is that like to attend then do you feel that you guys have to then oh you have to dress up take your best yeah yeah
2: don't you mark yeah absolutely you I mean I, I, I am a bit of a ninja packer, so I have to really plan and I think it's actually it's a good it's a good lesson for where we are at luxury at large because with the sustainability paradigm now now here and, and now here to stay, you have to make the best and stretch out as few items as clothing as possible. Now, Lynn will be yeah. a master at this as well, but you basically, you have to take certain items, but also that they mix and match. And for in terms of going forward, as we all get used to consuming less and consuming better, that is a life lesson. So I, I, that for me is really important. It's about taking the one pair of trousers that are going to match with the t tops, but also when you get to the third day, you know you've got the jacket that you've worn for a night event and maybe a day event.
0: One of the the best things about Mark is he has a, a wicked sense of humour. And um, likes a little bit of taps af, so likes to go around places and be like taps af in in places where it doesn't translate. So like in <laughs> Pity or in Tokyo, and you see Mark, yeah, giving it a little bit of Glasgow, which is always very. It always goes down really well, doesn't it?
2: I think I think in, indeed um, it's one of the cultural uh, peculiarities that has to be translated. Uh, across the continent. I mean, if the Italians can get away with wearing speedos in Forte de Marmi, I think that what you guys are doing indeed as well is bringing a, a definition to luxury uh, is a great idea as well. And, it, and, it, and it's about, there is a subjectivity to it, but uh, I like to hear people's perspectives. I mean, there's some great voices in the industry across the UK, uh, in Scotland. And I do think that, the same way that if, if you asked a designer like t- uh, Tom Ford, you know, what's your biggest luxury, four or five years ago, he would have said time. So I think the, the time element and having time uh, is now even more valued. And I do think that um, that crossover, that natural crossover into the sustainability sphere is really important. I'll give you an example. I know we were in a podcast, but um, I'll, I'll try and back it up with a photograph as well for you, uh, Lynn and Jill. But today I'm at home. I'm going to go out for a walk in Byers Road in Glasgow or around the university a bit later. But I'm wearing a pair of 12-year-old Harris tweed trousers, uh, Harris tweed Hebrides uh, cloth, Derek Walker design, and I'm wearing an eight-year-old Barry cashmere hoodie, which now has the full um, elbow exposed. Now, I can't darn, but I'm just thinking, nowadays in this age of sustainability, it's almost a badge of honour to have put your elbow through, you know, because it just goes to show how I've literally worn this almost every day during lockdown. And I think whereas that would be frowned upon, and I will get it darned, get something to help me darn it Doesn't at it? some point. But I kind of like the whole elbow thing going through because it just goes to show that it's had a lifetime and there's <laughs> been time put in. And, 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 I, and I will invest, particularly seeing the price of Barry's new range, I will invest. <laughs> I will invest in this hoodie.
0: I will send you um, over uh, info for Colin Norris because they do
1: the most amazing redarning and stuff. So I'll, I'll send you that. I think all we really want is to encourage people to to buy the best that they can so they take care of it and they keep it, you know. And, and I think that that's as, as a sort of lockdown yeah. throwback, that's sort of been what's happening anyway. I think yeah. people are really reconsidering how they spend their money.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think there's a, there's a balance to be struck as well. Now, I uh, you know I know people who have kind of gone against like really anti-consumption and, and there, there's, there's institutions and organisations out there. And I get that point. If you want a revolution, I'm more about evolution. I think if we all just consume a bit less, then, and consume more consciously, that's the best route forward. Uh, Because if we all stop consuming full stop, then some great industries will collapse.